Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have banded together to battle evil. They are the heroes of World War II, as well as their sons and daughters, protégés and godchildren. Two True Freaks presents The Tales Tales of the Justice Justice Society Society of America. America! Hello and welcome back to the Tales of the Justice Society of America. My name is Michael Bailey and with me this time, and I, I've got to just apologize to Scott right off at the start of this of this episode, <laughs> is my good friend Scott H. Gardner. Hello. And the reason why I'm apologizing to him is, uh, <laughs> Wow. I think it's fair to say that Scott and I are both fans of Roy Thomas. We are both fans of uh, Jerry Ordway to a certain extent. Uh, One maybe just a little bit more than the other. And I think we're both kind of fans of Infinity Incorporated as a title. Yep. Uh, We are not fans of this issue. (laughs) Uh, No. And uh, I I feel bad because... No, you don't. No, no, you don't. You think it's funny. Admit it. Can it be both? I mean... (laughs) I mean, I mean, I mean, can I think it's funny and feel bad about it? I mean, you know, it's kind of like the Holocaust. I'm, no, I'm just kidding. Ooh. I'm just kidding. Wow, I can't believe I just said that. Yeah, me either. <laughs> well, thanks, folks. Um, I hope you enjoyed uh, Tales while it came back briefly. I'm sorry, the ACLU has officially shut us down. <laughs> um, no, um... When, when we when we planned to come back, we were both very excited. Uh, in fact, the night Scott and I... <laughs> to peel back the curtain a little bit, folks. Scott and I got together to record something one night. And we we just weren't feeling it. And we just got to talking. As, as Scott and I will just sit there and shoot the shit for we hours. Actually. Too. <laughs> and uh, just because, you know, we're friends and stuff. Uh, or, or so, you know, the contracts say. And... We got to talking, and I and I had been thinking about it, and he had been thinking about it, and you know we're like we're gonna bring tales back, and, and you know there was you know heavenly choir opened up, much rejoicing, etc. So that night I went because I had moved all of my tales stuff to another room uh, because we we just weren't doing it. And I wanted to kind of clear up some space. So that night I, I, I all excited, I went into the other room and I found I was like, ooh, it's all together. So I brought it back and I took a picture of it and I texted that to Scott and sat down and I read the All-Star Squadron issue and I'm like, man, that was great. God, I'm going to have fun doing the synopsis for that. And Scott's going to do Infinity Incorporated. Oh my God, it's this issue. <laughs> but uh, we're not going to we're not gonna bury the lead anymore uh, on this one. Scott is going to take us through Infinity Incorporated number four. Oh, do I have to? <sighs> okay. Be a short episode if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about something else. No, we'll do it. Okay, so Infinity Incorporated number four. This is cover dated July 1984, but it was actually on sale, according to Mike's amazing world of comics, 
one week after my birthday in April of 1984. So that's kind of cool. Original cover price, $1.25. Cover on this one by Jerry Ordway, dated October 1983, which is interesting. I love the cover copy on this one. It just says the Justice Society, D-O-A. And I would comment on the cover, except that I kind of cover this in my synopsis. So just hang on to your asses. We're, we're getting started on this one. Roy Thomas is the writer-editor. Jerry Ordway and Mike Macklin are the artists. Co-creators three, they're credited here because, uh, well, I guess all three of them are the co-creators of the title. Hawkman Sequence by Gardner F. Fox and Joe Kubert, circa 1946. We'll get to that in a moment. The story is entitled Origins and Outcasts, part four of the Generations Saga. And Captain Kirk still hasn't shown up yet, which would greatly improve this story, in my opinion. So... Our story, such as it is, begins with Norda. So already you know it's going to be a frickin' spellbinder. Norda, bringing his pals Jade and Obsidian to the far north to see the land of his people, Phythera, or what? How do you pronounce this? I'm going to say Phythera. I guess that, I don't know. It's supposed to be like a feather thing because they're bird people and, uh. With them is the captured last issue Solomon Grundy, who provides much needed comedy relief by complaining <laughs> the entire trip. I like that part, actually. Along the way, Jade... Solomon Grundy want peanuts, too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so along the way, Jade provides her backstory by telling how she was raised as Jenny Lynn Hayden. A perfectly normal girl in a perfectly normal, perfectly boring suburban Milwaukee home by a perfectly normal loving mom and perfectly normal loving dad, even though he looks a lot like a porno mag publisher on page three. Her perfectly normal life was upset one day when her perfectly normal green birthmark, because, you know, we've all got one of those, right? started uh, pulsing and flaring and turned her hot, wet, glistening, just out of the shower, naked self, all green and glowy. Her parents hear her scream and barge in to see what's up, and then they all sit there discussing this while Jenny's uh, dripping wet, just wearing a towel, because that's what, you know, normal folk do. Oh, they say, this must be because you're adopted! Which is, you know... Surprisingly, just G. Willikers swell by her, by golly. But now she becomes intent on discovering the identity and whereabouts of her just-revealed twin brother, whom her adopted parents didn't bother to adopt, and whom has been in low-level mental contact with her recently. Are you lost yet? Well, hang on to your ass, because you're going to be by the end of this one. So after a small series of trials, errors, and misadventures, Jenny gets a handle on her newfound superpowers, including the ability to fly, and she heads over to her twin's place, where she discovers that he has superpowers as well, the ability to become a living shadow. Together, they jump to the conclusion that these powers must come from their parents, 
one of which must be Green Lantern. Soon, Jenny and her brother Todd, having trained and honed their powers through montage scenes, are ready to confront dear old dad at the JSA meeting we witnessed in the opening scenes of the first issue. The flashback concludes just in time as they have reached their destination, Phythera. Now the story's really gonna pick up. Oh wait, no it isn't. Norda's mom, who's a bird, and dad, who's a human, are happy to see him. The bird folk whisk Grundy away to God knows where, and the Wonder Twins are shown the sights by Warla, Norda's birdman grandfather, who admires Jade's quote-unquote plumage. Jade's fascinated with the place, and that's just the excuse that Warla needs to break out the home movies. Through through the history crystal, we are quote-unquote treated to the Hawkman story from Flash Comics number 71 in May of 1946, in which Hawkman tracks unscrupulous men who've learned of the existence of Phythera to the mysterious lost land of bird people, and and he eventually succeeds in both defeating an internal plot to overthrow Warla and convinces the human outsiders that its best of knowledge of this place remains their little secret. It's totally awesome. No, wait. No, it's not. Anyway, Norda's dad scolds him for bringing humans here, but then he says, you know, that it's nice that his sons come home to visit him, though. Norda tells his folks he ain't staying, and then they totally flip out. Norda uses the old, here, I'm an outcast, but, you know, out there argument that I think somebody in the team should have really set him down and discussed with him beforehand because it really doesn't work. He's a total freak in either place. Just then, Yakta, who's an even more disturbing looking Birdman than their average Birdman, if that's even possible, runs in and says that uh, they just heard the news on the radio I'm going to let that sink in for a moment. They just heard the news on the radio in a city of bird people in a hidden city in the middle. I'm Jesus Christ. Um, that their buddy pal Hawkman is dead. So Jade and the boys, they just take off. They get the hell out of there and they go to Colorado where they find the rest of their team is waiting for them. So together, Infinity Incorporated enters the morgue where they find the pot the yeah, the potties. The bodies rather. Might be more interesting if they found some bodies. Where they find the bodies of their parents, godparents and mentors laid out before them. And this is a scene that mirrors the cover on this one. Robin, Hawkman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern and the Atom are dead. Of all things, drown, which really hits Nuclon uh, particularly hard of the group. Have Jenny and Todd just now found their real father only to have lost him before learning the truth? This issue concludes with Fury, daughter of Wonder Woman, swearing to get all old Greek legend on somebody's ass for this. She's going to find out who murdered her mom. And then I'm going to kill him, she says. Next, Dead Men's Bluff. <sighs> now, I don't yet own uh, Volume 3 of, uh, what you call it, the All-Star no. Companion. Do you have that one? 
Uh, uh, I have Volume Four, which has all the ah, uh, okay. Stuff. Oh, it does. Okay, all right. As a matter of fact, I have it right in my hands. Sweet. Anything uh, worth mentioning on this? I, I'm sure it goes on for for many a paragraph about the awesomeness that is Flash Comics number seventy one. I, I mean, it's it, seriously for like four pages. I was really surprised because oh, usually, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um note. Jerry Ordway's cover for this issue is writer-editor Rory Thomas's favorite of the 50-plus drawn of this series. Wow. Um, there's right, a note... This is not in any way a dig on Jerry Ordway. I swear to God, because I, I do... I am a fan of Jerry Ordway. However, this series has some awesome covers. I mean, yes, really... So, really, for this one to be the favorite is... Huh. It ain't bad, though. I mean, I like the cover. Um, it has a reference to the Shadow comics for some reason. This issue is so bad they have to reference other books. <laughs> um, basically to compare how, how Todd becomes a Shadow. It, it has a pretty lengthy synopsis for these things. Because usually they're only about a paragraph or two. Or a paragraph. And this one goes on for a little bit longer. But yeah, that, that's pretty much it. I mean, it references the Flash comics number 71. Which is what most of this issue is reprinting. Mm-hmm. And or the the Hawkman story from Flash Comics number seventy one because that was an anthology, and right, yeah. a decade later for the nineteen ninety three Avengers West Coast Annual, Roy and Dan Thomas with main penciler Dave Ross created the Raptor, a man who metamorphosed into half avian form. Pencils for this chapter by John Zop, inks by Maria Bakari, Dan who co conceived both Northwind and Raptor, felt he should have been a human pterodactyl. But her spouse didn't want to duplicate Sauron, the reptilian mutant he and Neil Adams had devised in 1969 for Marvel's X-Men. Incidentally, Dan, who suggested the name Raptor from the term of birds uh, from the for from the term for birds of prey, was totally unaware of either Michael Crichton's novel Jurassic Park or Steven Spielberg's upcoming film of the same. Hmm. And that's the most interesting thing that they could really come up with for this one. Wow. Ooh. Oh, I guess I guess I, I get to go first. Um, <laughs> Lucky you. Um, I first read these issues back in 1996. And I remember getting to this issue and going, well, that's kind of interesting. I mean, it's a reprint of a Golden Age story. These are Golden Age characters. That's kind of cool. Years later, I would complete my run of The Invaders. And I like the invaders quite a bit. Um, in fact, after this is all done, maybe we should, you know, devote like a, about six months of our lives to a invaders podcast. I don't know. Anyways, uh, I'm just kidding. I don't want to hear you complain about the Frank Robbins art. <laughs> you know, I I'm not a fan of the art, but uh, I am very intrigued by that series. I actually w- wouldn't. I wouldn't be opposed to that idea. One of the things Roy did uh, when I finally got around to reading it that was just like, wow, he he just had a history of this, is there is a couple issues that had in the middle of it a reprint of a Golden Age story Ugh. featuring those characters. And I understand the reasons why they did this. Jerry Ordway, when, when they originally conceived this series, Mike Macklin was supposed to be the penciler and Jerry was going to be the inker. Somewhere along the way, they switched that. And Jerry had this very definite lead time, uh, which he kind of needed to get the series going. 
for reasons that escape me at the moment, all of that lead time just went away, just got eaten up. And suddenly he was faced with a deadline pressure that he really wasn't expecting. So it was Roy's idea to pull in the Flash comic story uh, with basically a little bit of statted artwork at the top of each page of the reprint shows the little device, you know, the little home movie shower, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, this was this Flash comic story that's reprinted, this Hawkman story was redone to a certain extent by by a fan. Let me get his name, uh, just so I have it. Uh, Al Delingis, a talented California comics fan. Al and I, this is Roy writing, have never met, but I've long been intrigued by a long-standing hobby project of his, namely tracing off at highly magnified sized and re-inking much of Kubert's work from the first decade of his first decade in comics, from Hawkman and like through Tor. Joe's caveman hero who had his own DC series a few years back. So basically what you're seeing is, is artwork that has been redone to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the reason why they have that little bit of statted artwork at the top of each page is that the aspect ratio of golden age comics was different than the, then modern and still pretty much modern comics. So they had to have that little bit of extra space at the top which is kind of interesting. Um, that is where the interesting part of that ends. Right. <laughs> and I don't say that to be mean because I don't think anybody involved with this book put this in here with the intention of, well, this is going to suck, but we need to get an issue out. I think Roy Thomas and Dan, his wife, who was uh, his co-plotter through most of his work at DC is from what I understand. Um, said, you know, there there was only one mention of where Norda came from ever. Let's show people that story. And I'm sure there are people who, in 1984, when they picked this up, were probably excited. Uh, and there are probably fans of Golden Age comics that are extreme, you know, were extremely excited that they decided to do this. I am not one of them. And that's not, not because, you know, I don't like to read Golden Age comics, because that's really not the reason. It's just... I am such a fan of Jerry Ordway's artwork, I, and, and it's gotten worse over the years. It's like a disease, uh, which I'm sure he appreciates me saying. Um, that I wanted to see more of that, and to have it interrupted in the middle with, you know, yeah, Joe Kuber, you know, the best superhero work he ever did was Hawkman, but I still don't really want to see it. So I don't really have any notes, well, hardly any notes for that story. What I do have is some notes about the beginning. Oh, my God. Um, one, I'm with you. I don't like Norda. I never liked Norda. I don't think I will ever like Norda. Um, it's very nice that he's there. I'm glad that he was created. Uh, I don't really ever need to see him again, and I'm not that lucky. Um, I think it's very fair to say that since this was a... This this wasn't on newsstands. This was a comic shop only book, if I'm remembering correctly. Right. Uh, what they yeah. would eventually become to call new format. Because of that, I think uh, Ordway got to play a little more with the female form mm -hmm. than he would in normal ones. Because we basically have an ass shot on page three, mm -hmm. um, which isn't bad because Jerry Ordway is a very talented artist. Um, 
I don't really want to know why her hand is starting to tingle, and I'm just going to move on. <laughs> what was she doing in that shower anyway? Um, page four, uh, green women are hot. Wait, go back to page three a second. Okay. What freak puts their toilet paper roll on backwards? It's Some people do that. Go... No, 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 no. Idiots do that. It's yeah. supposed to go the front way. It's a supposed to? It's supposed to. Okay. It's, it's, well, it's you know, they Bible maybe, somewhere. Maybe... <laughs> yeah, I think that's in Leviticus, right next to no gays and no tattoos. So. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, page four, green women are hot. And you can tell this is an 80s book because not only is there a chorus line poster, but a risky business poster. Now, um, let me ask you this. In your book, is there some weird red or pink? It's like a like a swirly pattern or something running right up the middle of her back, like essentially from her ass crack right up to like one of her shoulders. It's really faint. No, that's just yours. Is it just in mine? Yeah. Um weird. Page four. Uh, apparently, she is a missing persons fan too, because over by her turntable is a missing persons album. <laughs> um, Jenny, put on some damn clothes if you're going to talk to your parents. For the love of God, yeah, He's... that's <laughs> that's a close family. <laughs> yeah, that's a really close family. Uh, yeah. Um, well, her dad looks like Bob Guccione from Penthouse too, which is just disturbing. Damn. Um, last episode, we talked about Baron Blitzkrieg, you know, just happening to find out that Uncle Sam is using his power to transfer dimensions and just happening to find out that he can do the same thing and just happening to get accepted by the Nazis of Earth X. Uh, we got a lot of that in this issue. (laughs) Mm -hmm. She just happens to know she has a brother because she feels it. Um, and she happens to be able to track that brother down. Um, there is a, this is a joke, so please take it as such. There is a lot of sexual tension on page seven between Jenny and her brother. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's kind of like, you ever see the movie Jeepers Creepers? Um, Came out a couple years ago. I don't think so. Uh, it was a pretty decent horror film. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't fantastic. And you have, uh, Justin Long, who has had something of a movie career and another actress who, whose name escapes me, who was also, I think in Freddie versus Jason, um, their brother and sister and they're traveling. And for like the first 20 minutes of the movie, it's them in a car. And there is so much sexual tension. I'm sitting there watching it and I'm feeling it. And suddenly I, you know, eventually I'm like, is anybody, is it me or, or is there like sexual tension between this brother and sister? And I thought everyone was going to tell me I was crazy but it was one of those things where everybody in the room was thinking it. It just took one person to say it and everyone admitted to it. And I was the person that said it. So, Well, see, but, you don't live so far from Alabama, so I'm sure you kind of pick up on that sort of thing more than the average person would. Live right outside of Atlanta, where about 10 years ago, on the front page of the paper, there was a story about how it's okay to marry your cousin. <laughs> Major metropolitan newspaper in Atlanta. Um... Solomon Grundy is amusing throughout this entire yes. uh, front. I think Roy Thomas did a lot of fun stuff with Solomon Grundy. And I've always liked like the, the connection he and Jenny had. 
like basically eventually he becomes like her dog almost and then does something really bad um now tell me he eventually breaks out of the bubble and eats these bird people or something because i don't remember him getting left with them but that's what happens in this and i really hate Phythera and the look of these stupid bird people so i'd be perfectly happy if uh they get crunched by uh, Solomon Grundy at some point. There's a there's a commission I should get from Jerry of Solomon <laughs> Grundy eating the people of taste like chicken <laughs> with a big bucket of Colonel Sanders in front of him. That would be awesome. Um, the uh, land of the bird people is pretty standard Golden Age story, I would say. Um. The only thing that kept striking me is the very kind of cliched, you got all these people that want to go hunt these people and, and, and Carter Hall is like, you shouldn't because they might be people and they're like, screw you, you know, we want to go hunt some bird people. Oh, they're not so bad. Oh, there's a person here who is going to betray his fellow people. Oh, Hawkman saves the day. It's essentially the story. Um, Artwork isn't all that bad. Like I said, Joe Kubert, uh, not a big fan of his superhero work, but I always liked his Hawkman stuff. Uh, and and the wings are highly detailed. I don't know if that's the inking now or if that's how the story looked. Uh, and any story that ends with a bunch of men yelling huzzah, huzzah, means that they basically <laughs> stumbled into a Renfest. So um, um, I have a question for Norda's dad. Uh, not that he can answer because he's a fictional character. Um, at what point did you look at the woman with the beak and go, yeah, that's for me. I mean, seriously. And, and he hatched. She laid an egg. <laughs> no, I think Roy Thomas laid <laughs> the egg in this one. I'm sorry to say. Um, the scene in the last couple of pages, I actually really enjoy. Uh, I like the detail that Roy Thomas put into this town, this Colorado town they're in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's snowing. It feels like winter. I like that. Um, you know, the, the, the justice society, <laughs> was it justice league justice society laid out very dramatic. Like you said, Nuclon either had too much to drink the night before, or is actually upset that the Adam is dead. Um, and the artwork really picks up. I mean, that last shot of the Fury crying and swearing vengeance is actually really awesome. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, this. I don't want to be too hard on this issue, but at the same time, I didn't really care for it all that much. Well, my, my guess would be that the, the Hawkman reprint part of the story takes up what would you say, half or third? Maybe more like a third, I think. Well, no, maybe it is half. Anyway, it's not the whole book. So while the original parts of the issue aren't the most spellbinding thing, I mean, they're not bad either. You know, I, I do like, you know, as you say, once they leave Phythera and go to the morgue and all that, granted it's only two pages, but that part of the story I don't mind so much. It's really, it's the double whammy of having a reprint, um, and that reprint, honestly, I just didn't, I, I mean, if I didn't have to do it for the show, I wouldn't have bothered to read it, because I just don't like that kind of thing, but, you know, it's a double whammy of a, of a lackluster Hawkman reprint, 
and then in you know the the main part of the story it being about the least interesting member of the team and his origin and his people i just i don't care about fythera and all that it's just norda could have been an interesting character i think his biggest problem is that he just looks ridiculous his look is just terrible. I, you know, I, I don't know what. I don't know what the overall intention was here, but his look is just plain silly, top to bottom. He he really needs, <laughs> you know, he needs like superhero makeover to come in and and redo him or something. <laughs> you know, he he just needs something. But you know, the rest of it ain't bad. And as you say, you get a, you know, you get like half a cheek shot and then a full ass shot of uh, of Jenny. So that's never a bad thing. <laughs> I really didn't have any notes on this either. Strangely enough, after page four, I kind of gave up as far as notes. I just I plowed through the issue to get it read, and that was it. I really didn't have uh, anything for notes. You know, I, I made a note of. Uh, drop the towel, drop the towel, drop the towel on page three. And then uh, the, the the biggest one for me where I realized right off the bat, oh, I'm going to have trouble getting through this one, is page two where they're flying along and, and they're basically recapping events and that sort of thing. And Norda's talking and saying something. And Jenny says, yeah, but say, shouldn't you be paying a little more attention to local landmarks, Norda? And he says, you forget my Migra powers. Now, for one thing, when I first read this, um, I misread the M, so I thought it was N. I thought it said, you forget my powers. I thought, what the hell? But then when I read it again and realized what it actually does say, it wasn't much better. Migra powers? What? What? Really? Come on. Uh, that was just really silly. So, right off the bat, you know you're in for a really... St- when they're going to play so much on this stupid bird angle, I was like... Uh. So, I'm hoping this is about it for Norda. Because I don't remember him annoying me this much before because I don't remember him really being there or important or front and center. So hopefully this is like his one moment and then we'll concentrate on the interesting and good members of the team from here on out. But I, I again, I don't really remember. Do you remember? Not uh, honestly, no. <laughs> I feel kind of bad about that, but uh, <laughs> Norda was just never one of my favorite characters. No, no. So, and it's a shame because he could have been. I I think, I honestly believe he could have been, but... Uh, con- conceptually, you have a really interesting idea in that you have the son of Hawkman who um, has issues with his dad. You know, Hector and Carter didn't really get along all that well. And then you have the added kind of drama of the fact that he has a godson that can fly and all that. And and how much it kind of sucked for Hector as a kid to, one, be named Hector. <laughs> um, 
which was the name of my cat growing up. So that, that's always kind of why it's weird to me. But but you know, and, and no, apologies to to one of the we, we may have listeners named Hector. So I, I was just going to say every Hector in the audience just pff, screw this podcast, threw down their iPods and walked away. <sighs> I'm sure they did that about halfway through the synopsis for the uh, for the flashback <laughs> issue. Uh, nothing to do with you. Everything to do with the issue. Um, but no, I mean, I mean, you're a kid. You know, your your parents are gone all the time as it is. And when you do get to go hang out with them, you go to this mystical place where everyone is more awesome than you. And then your dad goes and hangs out with this other kid because he can fly. Right. You know, and and, and I, I think we've we're in pretty firm agreement that Hawkman around this time period was an asshole. So <laughs> I think Hawkman around every time period is an asshole, essentially, but um, that's part you know, of his charm. Especially now uh, in the new Justice League book. But um, I don't know. It's just. I just wish that this was a better issue. Yeah. And I wish we could come back with a better. I mean, you know, next time when, you know, the next Infinity, you know, we're really getting into the heart of this story where the action definitely picks up and it's this really cool, you know, old, you know, young versus old new generation versus older generation kind of aspect to it, which is why it's called the generation saga to begin with. Uh, and next time out you get naked wonder woman. So, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, some people are like, why are you mentioning that Mike? Are you a perv? No. Yes. It, 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 it's in, it's an overstreet. So, Oh, that's right. Yeah, it was actually listed in Overstreet. Nude Wonder Woman. So blame Robert M. Overstreet because it's his fault. Because he's the perv. Yes, he's the perv. <laughs> well, that's about all we got on that one. As you mentioned last episode, Mike, um, we're doing something a little bit different with crisis management or crisis counseling or whatever we called that that show that we were doing. Essentially, that show will still exist. It's just we've decided that, for one thing, um, crisis from here on begins to really ramp up. So at the moment, while there is only one um, pre-crisis monitor appearance to, a, to cover this time around, eventually we're going to get a po- to a point with both pre-crisis monitor appearances and with crisis crossovers proper where there will be multiple issues to cover within a, a, a given month or a given episode or that sort of thing. So now that we've kind of established what a pre-crisis monitor appearance is, what what the basic format of those appearances takes, that sort of thing, rather than give full devoted coverage to each and every appearance, we really want to go back to the essential heart of wanting to talk about those appearances in the first place, which is the monitor. And so for this time around for crisis management, take a brief look at green lantern volume two, number one seventy eight, which is the uh, July 1984 issue in which Congressman block learns that green lantern has survived his battle with the shark. And so he phones up the monitor and basically begs the monitor to call off the demolition team. Now the demolition team is this uh, is basically a, a, a group for hire that Block commissioned through the monitor to attack Ferris Air. 
or Fer- Ferris Air, I think it's called Ferris Air, and the monitor tells Cong- you know the congressman Block. He says you know it- it's too late to stop them now. That's essentially uh, the extent of the monitor's involvement in this issue. And while I have go- been going back and uh, and looking at these issues and everything and, and kind of following this run of uh, Green Lantern, which I actually found to be pretty interesting, I have to admit, it really doesn't have anything to do with with the mission statement of the show. So yeah. essentially what I want to focus on is just pages 12 and 13, which is the monitor sequence uh, of the book. So on page 12, you've got you know, block seeing the story in the paper because he's been laying out all these plans and everything. And he thought uh, Green Lantern was taken out, that he was no longer part of the equation, realizes he's wrong, calls up the monitor and you get a shot of the monitor satellite in orbit above the earth. And then once again, all we really get of the monitor is a hand. We don't see his face. We don't see any of his body. We don't even see like the back of his head or anything in this. We do see uh, Lila once again. Or is it Lila or Lija? I can never uh, remember. Lila. Lila. And we see her. She's uh, especially low-cut and uh, cleavagey in this particular issue. And that's pretty much it. And the monitor ends up hanging up on uh, Block at the end of the conversation, basically saying, sorry, you hired me to hire the uh, de- demolition team. I hired the demolition team. They're about to attack Ferris Air. Uh, have a nice day. And that's essentially it. And we're left with Block saying, that's it, I'm ruined kind of thing. And uh, that's it. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure that this is the last pre-crisis monitor appearance in Green Lantern, I believe. Now, there will be Green Lantern crisis crossovers but i think this is the last pre-crisis monitor appearance do you know for sure mike i'm pulling up my list right now ah as uh i am a nerd now also keep in mind this issue is illustrated by dave givens for uh, so for all you watchman fans out there i think that lija looks particularly watchman-y on uh, on page 12 yeah it, it... I think we mentioned this in the past. Uh, 178. Um, yep. So 173, yeah. 176, 178. Yep. So this is the last one. So that would be the last one. Um, I think we mentioned this in the previous ones. It, it, it's If you read, especially if you ever get your hands on the absolute edition of Crisis on Infinite Earths, mm-hmm. the reason to buy that outside of the gorgeous recoloring of the series itself is the little appendix book that comes with it. Right. Uh, the companion that ha- basically has like the entire history of how this series evolved. And I, you know, from reading that, I get the sense that the monitor started out one way and that Lila was not Harbinger. She was not his daughter slash love interest slash what the hell. <laughs> that she was more like the women that would hang on to the villains of the Batman TV series. Right. And that's kind of shows here with, with how she's dressed and stuff and how kind of sexified she is. So she's a mall you're saying. Yeah. She's a mall. Um, 
I can't hate the demolition crew, but I can't like them either. Well, they're a... they're a poor man's uh, wrecking crew from Marvel, mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah, that's that's the best way to refer to them. That is absolutely the best way to refer to them. So, that <laughs> nah, wasn't a bad. I mean, it's not a bad issue. It's just, I mean, this run of Green Lantern is rather entertaining overall. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, I've actually been enjoying it quite a little bit. I, what I liked about this was that, you know, at the beginning of the story, you know, the demolition uh, team begins their attack. Um, Jordan is there. And Jordan, you know, suits up his Green Lantern fully intent on going and kicking their asses. And right about the time he's about to engage them, you've got one of the uh, guardians pops up looking particularly bulbous headed, I must mention and says, dude, we need you to fly off into space and handle this other thing. And and at first Jordan's like, well, I got troubles of my own right here on the home front. And they're like, look, you promised us if we let you come back to earth, that when we called you up, you know, you, you wouldn't pull this crap. Now come save this planet. And Gordon Jordan's basically like, all right, well, okay, so I'll go. So he flies off into space and is immediately faced with essentially the same problem that um, Tomar refaced with Krypton, whereas the planet's going to blow up. How do I stop it? And, of course, we know how it turned out for Tomar Re and Krypton. So how is Jordan going to face this? In the meantime, he knows full well that back on Earth, his girlfriend is in mortal peril and her you know, his girlfriend's business is, is getting all tore up by the demolition team. So while the demolition team themselves is kind of shit and the final page of the book is kind of laughable, the overall setup is actually pretty, you know, it's, it's pretty engaging. I, I like a good moral dilemma as much as the next guy. So yeah, it ain't bad. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's really funny too, because eventually how quits, Yes, and uh, and that's when uh, when Rhodey comes Stewart. in and yeah, it wrote it nice. Um, Which one John, was first? Do you know? I think I, I do think James Rhodes was first. Yeah, that's what I was. Uh, but you know he um, he uh, you know John Stewart comes in and his trainer is Cat Matui. Right. And and there's this story in their background where basically she was in love with this guy and Hal Jordan told her that being a Green Lantern is star-spangled awesome, so she needs to stick with that. And she kind of gives up her love for this guy. And then years later, he quits. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's in love with a woman. So, Alrighty, folks. Moving into the segment we call Elsewhere in the DC Multiverse. Uh, this is one of those times where I have just about every issue on this page. Wow. Um, let's see. Got the action issue, which looks kind of cool. It's a Terror Man issue. That cover's nice, at least. I think I have that one. I'm not sure. It does look familiar to me. I kind of like Terraman in a you know guilty pleasure kind of way. That is a nice cover, though. Um, I don't think I have this Arak because I don't think my Arak collection goes quite that far. I know I have the Ari- Arion. I know I have Atari Force, which is a very underrated series. Mm-hmm. Got the Batman, which has a really cool Scarecrow cover. Yeah. Who That's is about- that? 
Um, that is would... that Barreto too? Ed it's... Hannigan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, Batman and the Outsiders number 12. Hi, Luke Giaconetti. Um, <laughs> I really need to get my hands onto the, the Best of DC number 50, as it's got a really nice Superman cover. I have that one. Uh, don't have the Blackhawk. Uh, I will not complain about Dan Spiegel. Uh, got the Blue <laughs> Devil. Got the Camelot 3000. That DC Comics Presents number 71 is another one that I read years and years and years ago where it's him and Bizarro, and you have the Bizarro Joker, who is Caucasian and crying. <laughs> that ass on his chest is massive. Yeah, the the cover on this one was done by Eduardo Barreto. So, yep. uh, very nice. I've got the Detective, got the Flash, uh, Fury of Firestorm number 25. I don't have the GI Combat. That Fury of Firestorm, I love that cover. It's incredibly detailed that is a wild firehawk in it yeah Mm -hmm. firehawk um come on internet explorer uh we have a justice league cover where martian manhunter is knocking the crap out of uh, aquaman is that an homage cover because every time i see that it reminds me of something i've seen somewhere else but i can never remember I do not know that. I just know that Chuck Patton did the cover, but George Tuska does the interiors. Yeah. I do like that cover, though. Um, Shag, Rob Kelly, and uh, Luke from... uh, Luke? Is that his name? Who? Frank. Frank from uh, The Idle Head of Diablo, which is a Martian Manhunter... Uh, blog covered this storyline over on Fire and Water. Ah. So they've pimped us a couple times, so I'm trying to pimp them right back. Cool. Legion of Super Legion of Superheroes number three thirteen has a really beautiful cover of all the Legionnaires flying through the city and they actually make the logo part of the background. Yeah. Uh which I really liked. We got the second issue of the Deluxe New Gods reprint, which I, I have and I have the originals now too. Um Saga of the Swamp Thing number twenty six I think that's one of the few issues I still need, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think I have that issue. Uh, we got Sergeant Rock number 390, where he's telling you to come here so you can get your red ass beat down and just get it over with. <laughs> come get some. Star Trek number six, Scott. <laughs> I've got this one. I'm Captain Kirk. No, I'm Captain Kirk. I love that one. I'm Captain Kirk. The stupid thing about that story is that the chameleon that can change into different people and everything changes into the duplicate Captain Kirk in full view of everybody on the bridge, so they should immediately know which one's real and which one's not. It's just one of those plot oversights in the story that you weren't supposed to catch. Sun Devils, number one. I am about to read this for the first time. I was just going to ask you if you'd ever read it. I've got scattered issues of that, but I don't have the whole series, so I have actually never read it. I flipped through some of the art on the and the issues I do have, though, and it looks nice. Yeah, it's Dan Jurgens, and eventually he takes mm-hmm. over writing the, the series as well. Oh, wow. Uh, from Jerry Conway. And the reason why I have to read that is in an upcoming issue of Superman that we're going to be covering over on From Crisis to Crisis in like a month or two. Uh, Jurgens revisits these characters and I have never read the series so I wanted to kind of catch up on that right love the cover to Supergirl number 21 now this cover or excuse me this issue rather 
and the issue next to it, Superman number 397, those stories can, it, it, I'm not sure what, where the story starts and which one is the conclusion, but those two issues, it's a crossover between the two with the kryptonite man. And as I recall, it's actually a pretty good story. And although that's not my favorite version of Supergirl's costume, it's one of my favorites. I think she it's looks mine. really sexy on that cover. I like that one. It's mine. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It starts in 397 and then goes into 21. Okay. So, uh, Sword of the Atom Special number one. I have that and I've never read it. Yeah, I think I think I have the same story, actually. Uh, Teen Titans number 44 and then Annual number three, which is the penultimate and then all, and then final chapter of the Judas Contract. Is that Tales of the Titans? For, is that the first Nightwing? I believe it is. Yeah, I know he's on, right there on the cover. First appearance as Nightwing. Ah, sweet. Uh, so that's a pretty significant issue. Um, I have that Vigilante, never read it. I have that Warlord, never read it. I think I have that Wonder Woman, never read it. And I think we can just say that World's Finest kind of sucks. Yeah, uh, at this, usually. Yeah, at that point it did. Yeah, that's... And- I don't have a lot to offer other than uh, Love Colon's Batman. Yes. How can you not? Exactly. You've reached the end to another amazing episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America. You can find this show as well as an entire slew of other awesome podcasts on a wide variety of geek-related subjects from giant monsters to time lords to movie commentaries to fangirl interests at www.twotruefreaks.com. There you can hear Scott on such shows as Star Wars Monthly Monday, Star Trek Monthly Monday, Comics Monthly Monday, and occasionally Back to the Bins. Mike is on Comics Monthly Monday as well as hosting or co-hosting a few shows himself, like Views from the Long Box, which can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, and From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which can be found at www.fortressofbailytube.com. Scott and Mike have gigantic egos. They love to hear themselves talk. More importantly at least according to their publicist, they want to hear from you. So you can reach the guys by writing to talesofthejsa at gmail.com. Would you like to sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks network shows? Simply head on over to www.twotruefreaks.com. Click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, You'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. You can also support this show and the Two True Freaks Network as a whole when you shop on Amazon. Again, simply head on over to www.twotruefreaks.com and click on the Amazon link. There is no additional charge to your purchase, and a portion of that will get kicked to the network. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Thank you for listening, and come back next time for another exciting episode of the Tales of the Justice Society of America. 